0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
1: VoiceOver on
0: settings. So you can navigate it just by listening.
1: Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10
0: to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves.
2: I learned how to burn a tire. That's a really hard thing to do, but it, 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 it flames for a long time. So you can really block a highway, street, yeah. and uh, throwing red paint at the US embassy was also
1: sport. That was oh, cool. That Did we, you ever get yeah. caught? Do you have like a record or like a political record? No,
2: there is just too many of us.
1: Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech this week. We're going to take a little detour from our normal fare of AI and trying to live forever and brain computer interfaces and all that good stuff we cover week in, week out. Instead, we're going to talk about, drum roll please, sales software. Now don't press pause. There's a reason. Because this week's guest is Manny Medina. He is the founder of Outreach, a sales management software unicorn. And Medina has one of the most interesting and unlikely paths to startup land that you will ever hear. Not only because he he grew up in Ecuador, which is, you know, not super common for, you know, our guests week in, week out. But more particularly because he grew up uh, communist. And here he is, all these late years later, running a software unicorn backed by some of the savviest investors in the world, and the product they're selling is something that helps you sell stuff like you know, the most capitalist enterprise one can imagine. So in our conversation, we get into how he charted that very unlikely path, some of the low moments, including living in a very small, foul-smelling apartment in the early days of the company, wondering if he'd ever get out you know, to where he is today, running a company that employs more than a thousand people, has more than 6,000 customers. And he just has a lot of really relevant lessons to share on grit, on belief, on staying the course when it, it seems like maybe the world simply isn't going to cooperate with your best laid plans. So I think you'll really like this one. So I will just stop talking and hand it over now to my chat with Manny Medina of Outreach. And of course, we start out talking about what else but artificial intelligence. One of the things that everybody I've spoken to who have been in tech a long time is they're just like, what is surprising, obviously beyond just the very obvious capabilities, is the speed with which things are happening. But I don't know if you're seeing that kind of on the cold face of where you guys are operating yet.
2: I think we saw the first brunt of it, the obvious brunt of it, which is, can LLMs help you with text generation, specifically for, for the things that are burdensome and you can't really teach people to get a lot better at, which is, you know, writing emails, writing Mm. great emails. I think that specifically, you know, things like ChatGPT can help you generate a lot of those texts. That is sort of like the, uh, the first the obvious force instantiation of, of its magic, mm. and what that's going to do is that it's going to elevate the rep from from having to spend time, you know, writing to maybe doing a little bit more editing and be more thoughtful about what is it what is that the problem that I'm looking to solve, right? You know, who am I communicating with? What would that person want to know, or what would you know? What would be a great way for me to to start a relationship or try to figure out what the problem is, et cetera or even taking a more strategic step back and thinking, the, you know, how do I navigate this account from where I am, understanding the problem statement that it is right now to the the, the family of problem statements that I want to go solve. Who is attached to those problems personally and professionally, and how do I use that to build champions and drive a, a sales to conclusion? So those are more strategic ways to spend a salesperson's time that really leverages what they can bring to the table as a human being and uses mm-hmm. the technology to get to help them do that, like any app that helps you to be more productive. The question is what is the next instantiation gonna look like? And and yeah. I think that you're gonna see more in content generation but more artful. So for instance, one of the things that, that we talked about here is that in sales, you need a lot of collateral, a lot of decks that go out presenting, you know, you yeah. they're new, who the hell are you, to what do you do around here to to how do I you know solve your problem and that being tailored to the stage of the deal cycle, and that means tailored to the, the people who are in the room, right? So each of those presentations have to be a little bit tweaked just yeah. to do the thing right. All that could be automated because a lot of that input already exists in the voice recordings. So when I have a conversation with you like the way we're having right now, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions to qualify your pain, etc., and that gets recorded. That is input to the next stage mm. into the PowerPoint presentation or the deck that is going to be presented to the next handful of people who want to be you know, brought along into the sales journey. I think it's obvious that generating landing pages, generating demo content, generating collateral, like anything that that is offline content generation, including images, are fair game and are, in my mind, very soon to happen. Right. What that does is that it disrupts a bunch of other industries, right? It disrupts how enablement is done. It disrupts how the role of product marketing, it disrupts the role of, you know, a, a person internally that is creating those presentations. It also makes, again, the rep more productive because the rep is not spending time, you know, building presentations, et cetera. The next sort of question is, you know, can an LLM really mimic a human conversation? Yeah. And from the voice perspective, from text via chat or via voice. And I don't think that's too far out no but then the implications of like you know will will the rep get replaced or not and i think that there is it's sort of like the same way that happened to chess in chess Mm -hmm. the match began between a person and a computer until the computer beat the person and now we're moving on to to centaurs of people and computers competing against people and computers and that sort of elevates the, the role of a human being of sort of like coming up with like high level strategies and then picking from a handful of options, from a handful of models on which one is the one that is going to operate the best.
1: Yeah, we had somebody on the pod. I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, but they were talking about, you know, when uh, Google DeepMind beat the best Go player, uh, AlphaGo, beat the best Al- uh, Go player. And then that was kind of the end of the story. But what happened after that is that that player is now better than in terms of his ranking he is better than he has ever been. Like he's gotten much, much better because he has now been kind of pushed to this new level, you know, either playing against them or training with them, whatever it may be, which is kind of an interesting take on that, that you usually just hear about humans have lost. This is the end of everything, but you don't hear about the the kind of the postscript, which is interesting.
2: Right, and so, you know, we don't understand the depth of human intuition and, and, and even the human creativity. So I, I, I think that you know, assuming that something is over, I mean, so, so many things have been over for such a long time, and, we're, and, we're, and they're still here, right? Like, cars still don't drive themselves, you know what I yes. mean? Like and, like, and they're still on the ground firmly, right? Yes. Like not, They're not flying yet. Yes, so, yes. and I'm sure there is, it's just a matter of time, but, you know, as all these things come online, human and creativity will continue to evolve. It, the ability to empathize I think it can be coded to some degree, but the pattern recognition of how to umpro- how to discover problems that haven't been stated—it's a bit of an art form that mm. I'm sure computers will learn, but humans will learn, you know, faster and, and larger. The other thing that we keep losing track of is the fact that you know it takes like a hydroelectric plant to run ChatGPT. You know what I mean? It takes, well, it takes you a candy bar to come up with a great, thoughtful answer. Totally. So that disparity will yes. have a crimping you know, effect on the, on the amount of creativity you think i really hearing.
1: Yes, indeed. Can we go way, way back? So
2: where are you from? I'm from uh, Guayaquil, Ecuador. It's, uh, it's, it's a
1: portal town. There's a reason I'm asking all of this, but how did you grow up and how did, when did you leave and how, when and why did you leave Ecuador?
2: My upbringing is a little different that I grew up sort of like lower middle class and I spent my summers at a shrimp farm. At a shrimp farm? Yes. Mm. So Ecuador during the uh, 80s
1: was a very large shrimp exporter. Is it still or is that all now out of like Thailand and whatnot? I think
2: they still, they still export a shrimp. I think that there is a very high likelihood
1: if you buy prawns at Costco they are from Ecuador. Is it kind of the situation now that like if you see a prawn, you're like, I can't deal because I grew up having prawn soup and prawn sandwiches and prawn this and prawn that?
2: <laughs> well, so this is the interesting thing is that, is that the prawn was too expensive to consume. So we would eat it, but the prawn is really expensive. And, because, and the pools were set up right next to the ocean to pump in and out ocean water. Yeah. But when you pump in and out ocean water, you also get little fish that eat the prawns and you get these crabs that eat the prawns. So mm-hmm. the thing that was abundant in the pool so you can eat all day was the little fish and the crab that eat the prawns. Oh, nice. So I would I would fish for that and I would eat a lot of that. So, you know, I'm a little tired of of, of blue crab, for instance. That's, that's the thing that I, <laughs> I ate a lot of because it's like, it was a little pest in the pool. Yeah. And this type of fish that doesn't grow anywhere else except for I go to that, um, right, that I used right, to right, eat a lot.
1: Right. And that was, a I presume, a family business?
2: It was my aunt's business, yeah. So she married to a family that had a number of shrimp farms along the coast. Oh, okay. Got you. So I was I
1: was part of the higher labor for the summer when I was not in school. Got you. And did I read, was this also correct, that um, your grandfather was in the Communist Party? He was. Did you grow up communist or was it like grandpa's communist and he talks to us about it, but we're kind of like, hmm. I grew up,
2: you know, firmly doing things in the workers party, you know, May 1st was a big celebration big for us. It's yeah. a big day, you know, a lot of a lot of red shirts and, you know, marching with the workers. I learned how to burn a tire. That's a, cool. really hard, that's a really hard thing to do, but it, 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 it flames for a long time. So you can really block a highway, street, yeah. you know, whatever is needed. So
1: what is the key to burning a tire, just in case I need to do some civil disobedience at some point in the future?
2: So it takes a long time for it to catch fire. So you have to. You can't just dose it in a combustible lake. Yeah. Uh, it's better to dose it in something that is harder to combust, like diesel or oil. That takes longer to catch, and when it does catch, it flames. Oh, okay. Good to know there you go if he ever comes <laughs> and uh, uh throwing red paint at the u.s embassy was also sport that was oh cool like, did I mean, you ever get yeah. caught do you have
1: like a record or like a f- political record
2: no there is just too many of us <laughs> yeah so right, right, to right, catch right. any of us
1: right so that's very different than what you're doing now obviously is there a dotted line between those like how did you get from growing up in that communist mindset the workers paradise etc to to what you're doing now
2: I don't know that I'm fully grown out of it. I think that we're still I'm I'm still evolving that point of view. But you know, growing up in a place like Ecuador, my potential was very limited. Yeah. Especially in software. I only learned software when I was in, in college. And then as I look at the people who were graduating with software degrees, they ended up getting a really cushy job that was incredibly, you know, boring maintaining other software packages for right. IBM or Oracle or Microsoft or SAP. And I wanted to be the person who wrote that software. I didn't want mm. a person to maintain that software. And I had an opportunity to actually transfer from my university in Ecuador to to a university in the U.S. with almost ninety nine percent of my credit. So I was able mm. to transfer almost all of it. And then learning written English is far easier than learning that learning to speak English. So that that allows to just get by in class very quickly. You know, yeah. de- de- dating is hard, but the academic part of <laughs> of college is actually fairly straightforward. <laughs>
1: But coming to the U.S., again, from your background, was that a leap for you or was that difficult? Or especially, like, what did your family think if it was like kind of, again, if you're burning tires and throwing paint on the U.S. embassy and then you move to the U.S.?
2: Well, in it it, it, the family, people had gone to. So my dad was educated in Cuba and then he went off to Russia for school. And, oh, wow. and, and so did my aunt. So it's expected that you leave the country to do something and you eventually come back. I see. So me going to the US was just part of what we do, right? You leave the country, you get educated, and then you come back. It's just that at that point the, the wall have come down and, and Gorgovachev had, you know, staged the new era of enlightenment for Russia, so there were no more scholarships. I couldn't go. Right. So the only reason I ended up, you know, staying and going to school in Ecolar because I couldn't couldn't be shipped off to, you know, Eastern Germany or Russia. Right, 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 right. So right. so US was kinda like plan B.
1: Did you know that at the time that was gonna be a one way ticket? You know, it's usually it's like, oh, I'll go for, I mean, I know I went to Spain for a year and then didn't come back for 15 years, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Spain, England, et cetera. But I was like, yeah, I'm just going for like nine months. I got the scholarship thing, but I'll, then I'll come back and then,
2: you know. Right. It's funny. I have a, I have a customer of the same story, but no, I came here and I was fully expecting to finish undergrad um, and do a master's very quickly and then come back. And then I got a job, and then I realized that the software was really eating the world. Like my job mm. was in, I think, in the military industry, and you know, a lot of the planes and the equipment that you see around is is, is all software driven. Yeah. And then I got into, you know, I got a job in banking, and a lot of the banking banking is run by software, investment banking, etc. There's a lot of people in relationships and stuff, but you know, there's software is really what's running everything, and that's when I realized that software is a is a ticket to whatever you want it to be. And right. The question is, how big is your imagination? What you, what do you want it to be? I remember uh, distinctly towards my final days of, of grad school reading a paper by, you know, we're doing a, a class on distributed databases and I read a paper by one Sergey Brin and Larry Page about, you know, backlinking and density and relevance and things of that nature. And I was like, ah, oh, that will never work. You know, a few years right. later, boom, Google was born. So a lot of these things were sort of like, you know, foundational for me, or like seeing ideas turn into into life-changing companies and sort of that, bug got me very grounded to be here in the U.S. And as, you know, I pivoted from Amazon and Microsoft and then to, to outreach, we were looking with my co-founders for whom are we going to solve a big problem? Like whose life are we going to go change? And it was through, you know, vicariously, we, we, we found out that a problem that is understated but massive is that one of the sales rep and that nobody worries about their rep. Nobody really built things for them. They built things for other people, right? You, if you mm-hmm. look at what CRM built, Bill was built from the report to the manager back, as opposed to from the rep forward. Yep. And then we look at the life of the rep and, you know, who cares about making them successful? Nobody did. Yeah. So we found this being a huge void, not from a technology perspective, but for whom are we solving a problem perspective? And, you know, we sort of like jump in with two feet and, you know, outreach is
1: what happened later. But outreach is also the product of a, of a couple of pivots. Is that, is that right? That's right. What was the original, original company before it became what it is today?
2: The first idea was to create a recruiting marketplace for talent right we mm. we made a hypothesis that talent is the one that is scarce and they should be offered all the opportunities in the world so if we were able to sort of aggregate the opportunities talent will come and will generate this marketplace two years later the marketplace wasn't really spinning and we became more like an agency recruiter with a tech sort of like paint and and we were quickly running out of cash. So we decided to figure out a way to generate more meetings for ourselves, to just generate more pipeline. We, we did the math and we figured that if we 10x the amount of meetings that we created up front, that we could make money in about two months, enough for us to just jump over that right. cash, low cash flow. So we created a product internally that did two things. One part of the product helped somebody, a human, to write a quick email with mm. a bunch of information preloaded. And the second one was a workflow that then took that email and follow up on it and follow up on it and follow up on it until you got, until you got the meeting scheduled. So lo and behold, we put that thing together and we started generating 40% reply rates on cold emails. Mm. I don't know if you know the stat, but for a cold email, the reply rate is below two. And we were wow. at 40. So now we're swimming in meetings, right? We're swimming in activity. We couldn't we couldn't convert that fast enough to, an, to actual business, to actual money. So my first pivot was to try to sell that to recruiters. So mm. I went to a recruiter agency and said, hey, I'll be your meeting generation engine. right? And they were like, well, you know, that's not a business model. Stop. How, how are you doing that? And I said, well, we have this engine that, you know, composes emails and follows up. And they were like, stop. I want to buy the engine. I don't want to buy your service. Right, 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 right. So we released that to recruiters. And it turns out that recruiters in general are very slow to buy any tech. It's, 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 it's really, mm. a, you know, a, a little bit um, of late adopters. So in our, in our need to to make the cash, we pivoted to selling to internal recruiters at fast growing companies, people who really need tools to, to generate more meetings for the candidates. And at that time, the fastest growing companies that we could talk to was, one was Cloudera, the other one was AppDynamics. They're both, yeah. AppDynamics got acquired by Cisco and Cloudera eventually went public. So they bought the tools, but they only have, I don't know, 10 recruiting seats and I needed to sell more. And they were like, well, we don't have any more recruiters, but this could be useful to sell. So I remember this one meeting, with the lead recruiter app dynamics who walked me over to the inside sales floor that was you know right across the other side of the building he asked for a meeting with one of the managers on the floor put him on the floor put him in a conference room and i did a demo of outreach for him right there mm. and he said yeah we'll, we'll we'll buy a few seats right here right now oh wow i walked downstairs called my co-founder and said we're pivoting the entire company we're only selling to salespeople that decision was fast and that's when we realized that nobody was serving the rep like right. the rep had no workflows. Nobody was helping them book more appointments, follow up with those appointments, turn those appointments into opportunities and turn the opportunity into cash. There was nothing out there. And it was one of those things that, like the movies of like discovering El Dorado that you walk in go to the jungle, <laughs> a jungle, a jungle, and then you see this opening and like, it's just gold everywhere. Right. Like it, it doesn't matter where you look. And it was, that was, that was our experience.
1: And when was it, when
2: was that? That happened at the end of 2014. So between 2014 and 2015 is when we pivoted into sales. Right. So I I, I call the birth of outreach the beginning of two thousand fifteen because that's when we really were selling into sales strong. Right, right,
1: right, right, right. And what are you now like? How many people? How big are you like? I don't know if you. I know you probably can't give a lot of numbers, but just a sense of the company.
2: So we are around twelve hundred people. We have six thousand customers. Wow. Give or take, we have about two hundred thousand users on the platform, either reps or managers using the platform. And that's how we count ourselves, right? So very few B2B companies count themselves a number of users that are on the platform. We count ourselves a number of users on the platform and how often are they using the platform? Like what is our active user rate? So for us, the active user rate is 70%. So 70% of the people who have IC on the platform show up at the platform at least once a week. Right.
0: As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, ...is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight... Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns on your next order. That's quince dot com slash upgrade. It just strikes me that again, you can tell me whether this is off base or not, but like coming from your background, where it's kind of like a uh, everything is community property, everything, and this is like the kind of let's supercharge capitalism. Basically, these are just seems quite. There seems to be a tension there between <laughs> what your company is doing and kind of those the at least the communist values how you was how you were raised. Is that because basically you're like, well, communism is good for maybe a couple things or nothing or something, or is it you've just kind of you've just been in America a long time and this is what it is.
2: So, without putting tags on it, the the system that I grew up in is that one of work and empowerment. Mm. So, if you think about, you know, in any factory or any, any even here, in the sales floor, yeah, if you're a manager and you have five reps and they're all calling sick for a month, are you gonna make your number? No. So, what are you gonna do? Who's the most important person at this point? Is it is it you or the people that work for you? Right. That was our point of view is that the people who do the work are the most important people and nobody really takes that point of view why because in this world we build things for the buyer for the decision maker Mm -hmm. and that is usually the manager right so what do they want they want reporting they want better analytics they want the ability to inspect etc but what happens when the people that work under them leave or the opposite side of the question what happens when they're more empowered and they stay Mm -hmm. and they produce more and they're happier and they're making more money and they're leaving home and going home earlier you see, you see what I mean? So when you mm-hmm. pose that question, a number of options open up for a, a whole new class of software, that of the you know the line worker empowerment. Mm. And, and that's the part that, that we're sort of like stepping into it right now, and that you, know, you see a lot of productivity applications. It's productivity of whom? It's actually productivity of the individual contributor and that adds up to the productivity of the of the manager or the first-time manager because the 1st line manager is a manager of a bunch of individual contributors and most of the time the 1st line manager happens to be a great individual contributor that got promoted so they mm-hmm. can teach other individual contributors how to do their job better so that person also deserves attention you see what i mean mm-hmm. i suppose all the way up to the cxo who is supposedly buying something that that person is built on the on the power of all the people underneath that are actually performing and any lack of performance under that person requires, you can't be intervened directly by the CXR. It's not like that person can come down and do some sales for a day. You yeah. see what I mean? And solve the problem. Because, you know, the moment two or three people leave, you can't take up the work of two or three people. So you're always completely dependent on the people actually doing the work. So that's where the impetus come from of serving the rep.
1: Gotcha. And I'm curious, you guys have you kind of a unique perspective on the market. Someone posted like an internal email or message that was sent out by a CEO of a tech company whose, which name, whose name escapes me now, but they're basically saying we get, they're getting rid of like their bottom 100 salespeople. Uh, Cloudflare. Yes, yeah, Cloudflare. Exactly. And they're like, the bottom 100 people account for 4% of our sales. Basically, they're not pulling their weight. We're getting like very clearly, we're getting rid of them. We're bringing in new people. And I just think when we step back and look at what is happening in the economy, and then you the lay on where we started the conversation around kind of AI productivity etc I feel like a lot of companies are sharpening their pencils so to speak and they're yeah. really looking really hard at this I'm just wondering if what you are seeing if anything and kind of on that front
2: yeah it's really interesting to like go and publicly blame your bottom performers yeah I was kind of stunned. Like, imagine your CEO of, of your institution comes out and, and blames like the, the bottom 10, 20 reporters. They really got to go. they be messing <laughs> up and, totally. and then just like sitting around not performing. You know, that transfer of blame is, is not the leadership values that we espouse here at Outreach. And that's not what we're, the kind of company we, we're building or we want to build. In the sense of a stream ownership, the first person you look at is yourself. Like, where do how do we fail this individual? So, like, how do we not set him up for success? Hmm. How do we not know that they were not delivering? You know, this is the interesting thing about reps. No self-respecting self-rep likes to sit around and make no money. Just think about that. The reason yeah. you took the job is to make a big commission check. You know, what I mean, if you are sitting there making base salary, you leave. Hmm. If you were to reframe the question, it would have been a, a completely different announcement. If the announcement was our top 100 performers just left the company because we're not taking care of them, what would happen to that stock? Yeah. And that wouldn't have been the problem with the reps. All of a sudden, that's a management problem. Yeah. You, you, you see what I mean? So you, you have to sort of like balance and figure out, you know, as, as CEOs, we're system builders. And, and the system gets built on the performance of the activities of each of the individuals and the results they get. And how do you compensate them and how do you bring them along and what kind of systems? processes, mindsets, and cultures you've built for them so that they can go and deliver. You know, a failure of not having them perform is a failure of management. Maybe you hired the wrong profile, maybe you equip them with the wrong tools, you give them the wrong guidance, the wrong messaging. And sure, they were sitting around and taking an inbound because that's all they could do when the t- times are hot. But when the times are not so hot, now you have to actually invest in the human being and, and teach them how to, you know, go do a proper job. Um, and, and and that's sort of like the uh, the tension that we're seeing right now is that, yes, you, you know, a lot of companies are letting go of the low mm. performers, and some of the low performance has been because the economy shifted. Yeah. So the economy went from, you know, an abundance of inbound and marketing to no end. And I, all you have to do is just sit here and pick up the phone and people will be calling me in and I can make money that way to I need to go and find business. So the majority like the large amount of our customers are saying hey we're changing the framing of what it's like to be a rep in this organization not only here at outreach but in all the organizations mm-hmm. that we're working with and that you're giving a book of business so you're giving you know a, a territory or, or a book of accounts and you're like a franchisee right mm-hmm. i'm gonna give you resources i'm gonna run some you know some football ads i'm gonna run some some marketing campaigns newspaper ads and things but making that patch of business pay out is your job. So you are the CEO of your book of business. You make sure you have the right pipeline coverage to the number you're trying to convert. You make sure that you're, you're, you're giving appropriate discounting so that you don't you know give away the whole boat. But the job of making that patch of business pay out is yours with my right. support. And if you don't, then we'll find somebody else with us. That is, in my mind, the right framing, but you have to give them support. You, you can't just live in flailing and then, you know, four quarters out saying, hey, you're out because you're not performing without any any sort of like responsibility for training, onboarding and, and helping them win.
1: Right. Our mutual friend mentioned something you talked about recently, which I'd love to just get you to talk about here is this kind of mindset of abundance. And if kind of going back to when you were, when things were not abundant for you. Yeah. <laughs> so if you get to kind of frame like where you were and how you've got to where you are, and at least in terms of how you thought about getting from from one point to the other. She mentioned um, in a small apartment, and it did not smell good.
2: Oh, that story. Okay, so um, we were pivoting. I didn't pay myself a lot. None of us paid, paid ourselves a lot. Yeah. So I, I needed to move to Seattle, and uh, I found an apartment that was down in this part. Of, I don't know if you know Seattle well, but it's... Ish. There's this road called Lake City Way that takes you along the along the lake, but there's this part of Lake City Way that... You know, there's a lot of car dealerships and, and pot shops and, you know, it's a little like industrial <laughs> mix, a lot of cheap yeah. apartments. And so yeah. that area has a lot of cheap apartments. And usually you'll find people who are students or people who are pivoting in their lives, you know what I mean? Or people right. who are down on their luck, et cetera. This one in particular, Accepted Dogs. I'm not really sure why I took an apartment that Accepted Dogs, but, you know, here, here we are. And uh, you know, I didn't know this, but when an apartment takes dogs, people bring, you know, every you have all sorts of walks of life of people of all sorts of things that bring their yeah. dogs. And my neighbor's dog was incontinent, so he would walk out of the apartment to on his way to pee, and he would just like dribble, dribble, dribble on the way on his way out. So Amazing. the apartment constantly smelled like dog pee, and they would mask it, clean it, you know, put like you know orange spray, and they just smell like dog pee and whatever they spray that day. So it was it was pretty awful. The point of the story is that is that even in that stark physical situation where you're surrounded by by not winning if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You have to put yourself into the mind of like what is the intent? So the intent was to build this company. Our intent was to solve the problem for all these millions of rats. Our intent was to to create this culture that that will self-propel the rest of us to serve the customer and to and to build real value. And as long as that was the intent and that was the vision and that's what I worry day in and day out, everything else sort of was immaterial, was sort of circumstantial. Mm. Was sort of like you know, what I had to do right now to get through through the day, but it was not me. You know see, I mean it wasn't who I was, it wasn't who we were trying to become. Right. So keeping our mindset on the bigger opportunity. Keeping your eyes on the prize, basically. That's exactly right. So focus on the outcome, right? As so as long as you focus on, on the outcome, you know, so, as long as you keep your intention pure, everything else first of all, like, fritter away. So my intention was not to get out of the apartment. My intention was to, to continue to build this company. The other thing is that at some point, I did not want to get out of the apartment, What I encourage people to have, is a real vision of moving to what? Mm. It wasn't just getting out of the apartment. For me, it was moving into a home that had a view of the lake. Because, you know, we have a massive lake here. So every day I will think about, you know, having a home with a view of the lake and what would it be like and, you know, where where I would be sitting in my home enjoying the lake, at what time of the day, et cetera. So for me, I start crisping up the view of the lake and the view from my home and the fact that I was sitting on this couch and early in the morning having coffee, reading a book, being on the lake. And I had that really experiential vision for where I wanted to live as I am building this company. Mm. And You know, the the takeaway for me is that the more you focus on your goal, new ways to get to that goal happen to you. So for me, we worked together to get the company to a particular Series C, where I was able to take a little money out and, you know, afford a home in the lake. One of the parts of the story I didn't tell is that the prices here in Seattle continue to go up. For sure. So I took a little bit of money out to buy this home, you know, with a view, and, and then I couldn't afford it anymore because the prices went up. Yeah. And then there was a, a period of about two weeks where the market hit kid I forget if we got into a war or what happened to the U.S., yeah. but there was some situation that made the market sort of like, you know, sputter a little bit. And, then, and a house opened like right during that period that I was able to get in. You see, I mean, and so this confluence of circumstances and luck and, and, and sort of preparation only come to you when you focus. I was mm. focusing on making sure that I got a home that I was comfortable in, so I continued to build this big company. And it sort of like came together at that time. You know, and, it, and you can call it luck, you can call it a number of things, but it's, you know, can call it preparation, etc. But when you focus on something, you know, new ideas of how to get there will come to you. And you just have to do it long enough until
1: it happens. That's, that's sort of like my, my fundamental belief. And you never, that, that, like surrounded by that aroma in that crappy little apartment, you never were like, I just need to go get a job. I just need to go, like it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's Microsoft hiring right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I could kind of fast forward this whole plan. I could kind of, you know, le- be out of this place next week. Uh, no.
2: You have to convince yourself that what you imagine to be true is true. And the timing is just hasn't happened yet. Mm. You see what I mean? And as long as the timing aligns between your desire and the outcome that you want eventually shows up, then it does show up. From so many entrepreneurs that I know, most of them give up too soon. That there's so mm-hmm. many stories of somebody building the thing that was going to be the future, and they just couldn't get to that future and they just give up. Yeah. And the future shows up two, three years later. You see what I mean? Like even for us, right? Like we, you know, we build this capability that allows somebody to present you information. Like you and I are talking and as I am saying something, imagine an application that is giving you tips of what to say. Mm -hmm. That is real time taking my information, transcribing that, and then coming up with an intelligence response to my answers, to my questions. We invented that two years ago. And when we released it, the market wasn't ready for that. So the first reaction that we got is like, oh, reps are gonna be distracted. Mm -hmm. They're gonna not like that. It turns out that it is useful. It wasn't useful right there and then. It's going mm. to be useful, you know, it's starting to be useful right now. And there's no future in which the computer doesn't tell you what to do. Just like there is a future in which, you know, the computer doesn't write the emails for you. Essentially, there's no future in which the computer doesn't write the presentations for you. But that future was unfathomable only three years ago, four years ago. You mean like somebody else writing your emails was just a, a big no-no. Mm. Now is the future, right? Like, and the yeah. job's going to be lost and whatever, whatever. So the stick with itness is a real superpower of the people who get shit done.
1: And do you think that your grit comes – I mean, can you you attribute that from your, let's call it, less than um, typical journey to doing what you're doing? You know, you have to believe that a lot of things will come true for you when you go through the journey that I went
2: through. So, yes, I, I think that that had a lot to do with it. But I, I don't like to attribute things to people's walks of life because yeah. that makes it unaccessible to others. This is accessible to anyone. So if you never had a hard time in your life and you grew up playing tennis in Santa Barbara, this is available to you too. <laughs> you see, you, you can be that person too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just you just have to kind of start to learn to use that muscle in a way that you probably aren't accustomed to at some point. That's right. And did you have a partner at the time? Because I'm always fascinated. Because also at certain point, like people have bills or families or a partner who's like what in the hell are you doing go get a job you know you can get a job that's like would make our lives a lot easier you know she really believed
2: in me and and that
1: this was a big enough problem
2: it did help that when we are focused on on the goal you notice the progress that you're making every day that is Mm -hmm. not obvious to anyone else and there was progress that we made, right? It wasn't just material, like from here to the home that I wanted, or the outcome that I yeah. wanted for outreach. But things were happening. We were building product. People were using it. They were getting outcomes from it. We found out that we had a real magical solution when outreach went down. Mm. And when outreach went down, one of our twenty customers called me, and he said, uh, "Manny, I just sent the entire sales team out to lunch. It's, it's eleven o'clock here in New York, and everybody's out to lunch. You have two hours to fix this problem. Otherwise, we're not gonna make a sale today." because the entire team leads on outreach. We actually didn't know that because we're sitting on the other side of the active user translation. And and when that person told me that, that was like, you know, so step one, panic. Step two, solve the problem. And step three, step back and celebrate what just happened to you. Somebody told us we are, you know, essential. And when you are Mm. essential, you can be essential for many, many more people. Right. And, and that is progress, right? That progress doesn't show up in massive amounts of money or in big valuations, et cetera. It shows up in the fundamental
1: belief that you know what the future looks like because you're inventing it. And that was all the time we have. I want to thank Manny for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening and for the ratings and for the reviews and for telling your friends and neighbors about this very fine podcast. I think I'm writing about Apple and their new um, kind of VR headset that's coming, which was actually really interesting, kind of an interesting moment in time for technology, hardware, computing in general. So do check that out at thetimes.co.uk or in the actual physical paper, the Sunday Times, this very Sunday. Or you can find me on Twitter at Danny and You can email me danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is it for me this week. Thank you, as ever, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
1: VoiceOver on settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
1: Books, contacts, calendar, double-tap to open breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11
0: and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iPhone want flexibility take yoga want flexibility with your health insurance check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company they offer flexible budget-friendly medical dental and vision coverage that may be right for you more at uh1.com